Welcome to Charity Talks. I'm Brooke Denevsky, and today I spoke with Lacey Horn and Joel Williams, both members of the Cherokee Nation with the Native American Rights Fund, also known as NARF. Lacey is the chairperson of NARF's board, and Joel is their longtime attorney, and they both discuss the plight of Native American and Alaskan tribes and what NARF is doing to help them. As you'll hear, NARF's mission is to preserve tribal existence, protect tribal natural resources, promote Native American human rights, and hold governments accountable to Native Americans. They do this by taking legal action in courts around the country on behalf of numerous tribes. Given how the country's historical actions have played a significant role in the current difficulties that Native Americans face, I think that this is a cause that all Americans should want to address. So I hope you enjoy learning about the important work NARF is doing to help. Welcome to Charity Talks. Today I'm speaking with Lacey Horn and Joel Williams of the Native American Rights Fund. Lacey and Joel, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Let me start by saying congratulations on the 50th anniversary of NARF. That's a really amazing accomplishment, and it's so nice to see how such good work is just lasting so long. So that's really cool. Thank you, Brock. So to start, can you each talk about your background and how you became involved with NARF? So I was raised in the Cherokee Nation. I'm a Cherokee Nation citizen. And by background, I'm a CPA and an auditor. I spent eight years as treasurer for the Cherokee Nation, and now I'm CEO of Native Advisory, which is a strategic and financial consulting firm helping tribal leaders further their tribal sovereignty through enhancement of their financial sovereignty. And I joined the board of directors for NARF in 2017. I was invited to join the board to bring my financial acumen and expertise to NARF as they were also working on financial sustainability for the long term and they wanted to add more of that financial acumen at the board level to help drive that. And I've since served as treasurer and now as chairwoman of the board. And Joel, can you share about your own background and your experience? Sure. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm also a, a Cherokee Nation citizen and uh, I'm an attorney at the Native American Rights Fund. I'm a, a senior staff attorney, and I'm also the managing attorney at our Washington, D.C. office. And, um, you know, I went in to uh, the law with the intention of working on, uh, on tribal issues. Um, when I finished college and I sort of thought about what I wanted to do in the world and what I wanted to accomplish, um, that was just front and center for me, uh, uh, addressing uh, justice issues uh, for Indian tribes. And uh, so the way to do that was was to go to law school. And um, uh, my dream was to was to have a job just like the one I have now. And it took me a, a, a while to to get here. I practiced as a state attorney for a number of years uh, as a trial and appellate attorney, and then. Uh, went to work for for my tribe, the Cherokee Nation, for a couple of years as well, uh, before I had the opportunity to uh, to come and and join NARF. And I've been here now for um, I think 
it should be, about, I think it's about eight years now that I've uh, oh, been wow. a lawyer with her. Yeah, so it's a, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a dream job for me. Great. And can you, one of you share what NARF's mission is? Sure. So um, NARF is a, is a nonprofit law firm and, and we were founded in, in 1970. And the purpose uh, is to assert and defend the rights of Indian tribes, tribal organizations, and individual Indians nationwide. And um, early on, what we did as, as, the, as the NARF board um, was to identify five priority areas that, that NARF focuses on. And that's the preservation of tribal existence, the protection of tribal natural resources, the promotion of Native American human rights, holding governments accountable to Native Americans, and the development of Indian law and the education of the public on Indian rights and Indian law issues. Um, so as a nonprofit law firm focusing in those areas, um, you know, some of your listeners may be familiar with the NAACP Legal Defense Fund and the work of Thurgood Marshall and in the civil rights era. And that's very much the, the type of sort of nonprofit law firm model uh, that, uh, that NARF was built on as well, uh, that we would be an organization uh, asserting uh, those rights for Indian people and, and trying to make positive changes in the law through litigation. It seems to me that Americans have a special obligation to come to the aid of Native Americans given the role the country's historical actions play in the current plight of Native Americans. So what, what does NARC do to advance its primary mission of preserving tribal existence for American Indian and Alaska Native tribes. That's that's a that's a really good question, and and I, I think to to answer that, I'll I'll step back a little bit and and talk about some Indian law principles. So a foundational aspect of Indian law is a special relationship uh, that the United States has with Indian tribes, and that that relationship was defined um, in very early U.S. Supreme Court cases from the 1820s and 1830s. Um, and we refer to this, this special relationship as the federal trust responsibility. Um, and both, both the United States and Indian tribes are sovereign governments. But under the way that the, the, the law developed, especially in those very early cases, um, the United States is what the Supreme Court kind of refers to as the, the superior sovereign, right? Um, and but that that status of being a you know quote superior sovereign carries with it uh, duties toward Indian tribes. Um, so the United States has obligations to to protect natural resources and lands and ensure uh, the welfare of of Indian people. Um, you know, things such as health and education and, and that type of thing. And so that that federal trust responsibility is, is uh, really at, in many ways, the, the, the heart of the relationship uh, between uh, the United States and Indian tribes. Um, and so when you, you know, when you ask about special obligations, that uh, is really uh, front and center. And that's maintaining and protecting that um, that 
special trust relationship is uh, really uh, at the at the very heart of uh, the work that that NARF does. When I talked earlier about some of our our priority areas, you know that fits very well into holding governments accountable uh, to Indian tribes for those for those trust duties and obligations. Um, so it very much uh, motivates the the work that we do and uh, is is a part of a huge bulk of the cases that we bring. And Brooke, Native Americans face disproportionate barriers in life in modern day society that are higher than any other minority populations in this country. We have the lowest life expectancy, we have the highest rate of incarcerations, highest suicide rates, and highest instances of abuses towards our women. And the crises that the Native Americans face is the result of centuries of inhumane treatment, detrimental federal policies, broken promises to tribes, you know, as Joel talks about, the trust responsibility. And in general, we're pretty much ignored, invisible, and misunderstood. And so uh, if NARF is able to do its work in preserving tribal sovereignty and and better equipping our tribes to be able to help their citizens with these concerns that, that I just spoke about. Um, when our sovereignty is protected, then our languages, our culture, and our people will have continued survival and existence, which is, a, which is the, the foremost priority of NARF's mission. And I know that um, NARF has successfully litigated the rights of Indians and tribes in hundreds of major legal cases. Are there any particular victories that really stand out to either of you? Well, I'll I'll start just by saying that I'm always so proud when NARF has wins in water rights cases on behalf of tribes. When tribes are fighting for their water rights, that they're fighting for the water rights of not just their people, but of all the Americans who are drinking that water as well, and they've been so successful in protecting water resources in this country. And when the tribes are um, winning in the environmental areas, then, then this entire country is winning in those areas as well. So for me, all those environmental wins that, that NARF keeps stacking up, those, those are meaningful, not just for Native Americans, but, but for every citizen in the United States. And since you're bringing up resources, I know that although Native Americans currently possess only a fraction of their original territories, many tribes still control vast areas of land containing resources such as oil, gas, and timber, and that the political and economic self-determination and self-sufficiency of most tribes depends on maintaining their land and natural resources. So could you talk a little bit more about how NARF's work safeguards their land rights? Sure, I'd, I'd be happy to talk a little bit about that. And, you know, that is uh, some of NARF's uh, earliest cases uh, addressed those uh, those natural resources issues, um, both, you know, some of the things you pointed out through, uh, you know, land and, and timber, um, all those types of things, uh, but also hunting and fishing rights um, were really a, a, a staple of early NARF cases and, and continue to be uh, to, to, the, uh, to this day as well. And, and I think that there are a couple of important things to, to point out about that. You know, you, you rightly point out, Brooke, 
uh, that this is an important part of economic self-determination is, you know, the control of those resources and, and uh, having uh, self-sufficiency. And oil and gas, for example, is something that comes up uh, quite a bit in the broader um, discussion and, and debates over environmental law and environmental resources. And for part of what we advocate is that um, tribes have those resources and should be able to um, simply use them uh, in the way that they determine uh, that they should be able to use them or not. The point is um, that it should be uh, their decision and they should use those resources in the, in the way that, um, that they determine. Yeah, it definitely seems like there's a lot of various factors going into why it's so important. So I definitely think it's interesting to see just how how essential these resources and how essential this is from a lot of different standpoints. And speaking of rights, historically, the U.S. denied tribes the right and ability to govern the education of their own tribe members. I know that tribe leaders strongly believe that Tribal governance over student education is very important and that NARF is involved in helping to restore this. So how do they go about doing this? Well, one of, uh, you know, one of our uh, very famous uh, uh, tribal leaders uh, as, as Cherokees, you know, Lacey and I are both Cherokee, uh, was, was Wilma, Wilma Mankiller. And Chief Mankiller, you know, said once that, if you control education, you control the future. Uh, so we've made that an important focus uh, uh, of our work at NARF as well. And you're you're correct that uh, that self determination in education uh, is incredibly important. Um, most Native American children are educated in in public schools uh, mm-hmm. around the country. Um, you know, even for for uh, Native children that live on reservation, usually they're attending uh, public schools that are uh, run by you know, local school districts, right? And so that doesn't always uh, fit the needs uh, for, those, for those Native children. And uh, what we've worked on is uh, tribal self-determination in the field of education and over the years have managed to get some, some specific uh, provisions into federal law uh, that help support that and give tribes a more active role in making decisions about education, even at those, those local public school levels uh, that aren't necessarily operated by, by tribes, but, you know, they're getting a, a, a stronger role in uh, decision-making and, and developing uh, curriculum there. And then on, uh, you know, kind of two other fronts, um, one, of course, is, is funding, which is always uh, a huge issue in, in the field of Indian education. Funding not just for day-to-day operations, but also for infrastructure. Um, tribal uh, schools are, um, are way behind in terms of deferred maintenance issues, and some of them are even quite dangerous. Um, and then the third area is uh, tribal education codes. So um, if, uh, if a tribe is going to be more in control of education, then they need their own tribal laws 
that are going to govern um, education. And so we assist tribes in, into developing uh, those education codes that they need. So that's, you know, that's very sort of in the weeds, nuts and bolts kind of work, um, but is uh, necessary if they're going to uh, develop their capacity in that way. Yeah. And another issue that I want to bring up was that non-tribal governments often threaten to eliminate the hard-bought-for political status and legal rights of tribes. So how has NARF held governments accountable for the broad range of laws that protect tribal sovereignty and native rights? Oftentimes, you know, we always, or, or I think it's easy to think about the relationships being, you know, tribes and the federal government, and that when they're, uh, when tribal rights are trampled upon, that it's the federal government doing it. Mm -hmm. But um, very, very often, um, the litigation that we're involved in is with uh, states and local governments. And a big part of my work now is at the U.S. Supreme Court. And a huge percentage of the cases that we end up litigating uh, in the Indian law field at the U.S. Supreme Court are uh, cases with uh, state and local governments. And so uh, that's, you know, that's an area where those governments have made moves that, that aren't sort of the direct assault, <laughs> you know, if you will, on Indian tribes and, and, and trying yeah. to sort of, you know, completely erase their tribal existence, but sort of around the edges, chip away, um, you know, at various aspects of tribal governing authority. And so that's a real issue that that requires us to, uh, to litigate those issues quite a bit. Yeah, it seems like that can almost even be more dangerous because it can go unrecognized. So I definitely think that's important to recognize and to approach that issue. And another thing I want to bring up was do either of you have any personal examples of the good that NARV has done on a human level that you can share? I'd like to talk about NARV's work on preserving the Indian Child Welfare Act, which is a federal law that works to preserve um, Indian families and keep Native American children with Native American families. And as Joel was mentioning with education, you know, education starts in the home. And so if our children are being raised in non-Indian families, then they're not getting that um, education of who they are as a Native individual, as you know, getting the cultural aspect incorporated in their upbringing. And so I, I know on the human level, they are, their work on ICWA has, has affected a great many number of children and families. Also, from the perspective of voting rights, NARF does a lot of work preserving voting rights for Native Americans and ensuring that they have access to the polls and access to a fair process in, in exercising their right to vote. And so I know that there are numerous examples of how NARF's work is affecting Natives on the human level every single day, but those are just a few of my favorites. Clearly, there's so many different things that NARF does that is just so essential. So if someone wants to help, how can they best get involved? I would direct someone first to NARF's website, narf.org. 
They have an extremely robust website that dives into all of those five priority areas that Joel outlined at the beginning. It gives more information on, on, the, on the historical basis of those issues that we're facing, as well as what those issues are, are causing uh, Native Americans and the individual tribal members on a daily basis in current modern day life. And it also talks, and they also have a great site updating all of the news and the wins that NARF is having. And also you can access the Indian Law Library. NARF runs uh, an Indian Law Library where you can see all of the, all of the law and um, opinions, et cetera, that have impacted Native Americans throughout time here in the United States and compiled in one source. And obviously, um, aside from educating yourself on our issues, NARF is um, always appreciative of financial support for our work. And if anyone would like to make a donation, how can they best do so? Oh, great question. So, yeah, it's on NARF.org and it's at the Support Us link. And supporting NARF means you're supporting all the tribes in the United States. And when the tribes in the U.S. are supported, this entire country is supported. In closing, are there any other thoughts that either of you have about NARF that you'd like to share and leave us with? I would also like to point out how NARF's work isn't just centralized here in the United States, but they're also doing work in, on the at the international stage and doing work with the United Nations and and um, helping to uh, collaborate and cooperate with other indigenous populations. And so I think it's important to note how um, we're, we're helping to impact uh, indigenous populations worldwide. Yeah, well, thank you so much. I really appreciate you both coming on and speaking with me because I think that this is such an important cause. So thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for your interest, Brooke. Good to be with you. <laughs>